The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. I'm Darren Fonda, Managing Editor for Barron's. Welcome to Barron's Live, Managing Your Money. Today, we have Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer of Bitwise Asset Management. Bitwise manages private crypto index funds, separately managed accounts, and ETFs. As of December 2021, Bitwise managed $1.3 billion in assets. Matt was previously CEO of Inside ETFs and CEO of ETF.com. Welcome. Uh, Thanks for being here, Matt. Darren, thanks for having me. I'm super excited for the conversation. Well, we're going to talk crypto, um, and there's a lot to discuss. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, the former CEO of FTX, was arrested in the Bahamas last night and is now facing criminal fraud and conspiracy charges for what federal prosecutors called a scheme to defraud customers, including wire fraud and money laundering. The SEC and CFTC have also filed charges against Bankman-Fried. FTX, um, before this happened, was a company um, that was valued at $32 billion. It was the second largest crypto exchange. Um, It was also um, a proprietary trading firm, uh, Alameda Research, that Bankman-Fried was uh, in control of. Um, uh, They had signed up sports stars and celebrities uh, as pitch people for FTX. But it's now looking like um, the biggest fraud in crypto and maybe one of the biggest frauds since uh, Bernie Madoff. Um, the um, the new CEO of uh, FTX, John Ray, said today in Congress that he thought it was all just old-fashioned embezzlement. We don't know um, a lot of the details yet, but they're trickling out. The question, I think, for a lot of um, investors is, what do you make of all this, and um, and what does this mean for crypto broadly? So we'd love to hear your take on that. Great. It's a, it's a great and very important question, Darren. You know, I think you use the right words. I think this is in the category of Bernie Madoff. I think this is a historic fraud. Well, these are all allegations. There is enough on the public record to, I think, at this point, identify uh, at, at the very most generous, uh, gross, gross, gross negligence and mismanagement. But from my perspective, it looks like uh, it looks like criminal fraud. Uh, you know, in terms of what this means for crypto, I think there are two important things to keep in mind, and we can talk about each at greater depth. One is that this is not good for crypto. This is a stain on crypto's reputation. This is, you know, as you mentioned, one of the larger exchanges. Now, it had the hallmarks of potentially being illegitimate uh, that we can see in retrospect. It was a Bahamian exchange. It was located offshore to avoid regulation. Um, but this will keep investors on the sidelines and be a cloud that hangs over crypto for a number of months. I don't think there's any way to look at this and see this as a short-term good. But I do think the other thing to keep in mind was that FTX wasn't crypto. Uh, it was a single offshore, primarily derivatives exchange. It doesn't have anything to do with what's going on in Bitcoin or what's going on in Ethereum or what's going on in DeFi or what's going on in stable coins. It doesn't disrupt how disruptive crypto is and could be as a new technology platform and doesn't make it any less interesting. So I don't think it changes 
the long-term journey of where crypto is going. In fact, arguably it might accelerate that by bringing more regulation into the space, which is something that I think the true believers in crypto welcome. But in the short term, it's a major negative. It's going to hang over the space for a number of months. It's going to keep institutions on the sidelines for a number of months. Uh, and my heart goes out to the people who lost money in this in this enormous fraud. Uh, well, you said a, a few uh, very interesting things there. One is that it's not good for crypto. I think that's an understatement. Uh, I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think crypto has ever suffered a blow um, this extensive, and it has suffered a lot of blows um, in the last year. We've seen other crypto platforms uh, collapse. Uh, including Celsius Network, Voyager, Three Arrows, uh, the hedge fund, and then the whole um, Terra Luna uh, stablecoin debacle, all of which had put crypto on pretty shaky ground um, you know, throughout the year. And then in November, you have the collapse and bankruptcy of the second largest um, exchange in the world uh, and you know, fraud charges against uh, coming against its founder and probably others. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, this really calls into question you know, what this whole enterprise is all about um, and whether there is really any anyone that you can trust anymore in crypto and whether this has simply been a nail in the coffin that has caused irreversible damage to crypto's credibility. You said that you think it'll um, take months to play out. Um, I personally think it'll take a lot longer than that um, because uh, even if you didn't lose money at FTX, um, you know, are you going to want to give your money um, in any substantial amount to either any of the surviving crypto exchanges and broker dealers or any of the private funds that are out there? I think those are um, key questions that a lot of people are really don't know the answers to or may say, look, I'm just going to stay on the sidelines from now on until there is regulation here. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable thing to ask. I do think there are a number of entities that come out of this looking very good. I think uh, Coinbase and other U.S. domiciled regulated exchanges have come out of this looking very good. This is an enormous stress test for any sort of financial market. And in a stress test, you typically see uh, a series of failures. If you think back there into the 2008 crisis, uh, when, when Bear Stearns sort of buckled and then Lehman collapsed, and there was a series of cascading events that took down a large number of firms. And you apply that here in crypto. We've seen a similar thing. There was a macro reset. The market fell 50%. We had Luna collapse. And you've seen a cascade of things topple centralized lenders that were lightly regulated like Celsius uh, and entities like Voyager. But there has been a class of companies that have stood up well and, and suffered really no issues. Uh, I think Coinbase is an exemplar of that, but there are others uh, like Kraken uh, or Anchorage. Any U.S. domiciled regulated entity performed exceptionally well. And I think actually once the dust settles, uh, there'll be more sort of credibility in that space. The other thing that's performed exceptionally well has been DeFi protocols. Entities like Uniswap or even Aave, which is a lending protocol, have performed exceptionally well. So I think that will be a trust building event. You know, I do I do think just it's important to keep in mind the historical context. Crypto has lived through a number of boom and bust cycles, as you know, and each of those bust cycles have happened because crypto got over its skis and then a large 
corner of crypto collapsed. So the, the first boom happened and then Mt. Gox, which was the largest custodian, collapsed. And people said it was the end of crypto. And of course, it wasn't. Uh, and then we had another boom around Ethereum and ICOs. And then ICOs collapsed. And people said that that was the end of crypto. And of course, it wasn't. And then the most recent boom was around DeFi and stable coins and NFTs. And then FTX and Luna collapsed. And people are saying it's the end of crypto. Um, I, I think those those have historically been wrong. And I, I don't think that this time it's different uh, will play out this time. I think there are entities that performed exceptionally well and provide a new foundation for crypto. But I understand the skepticism. It's appropriate to ask. And I do think it will keep many investors on the sidelines. Well, so your view is that crypto will survive um, this latest debacle, which kind of also raises the question of how is it that crypto keeps surviving and, and what keeps <laughs> propping it up? Um, and again, just to just to play the role of a skeptic, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you speak to former regulators, um, which I do, um, they are pretty outspoken in saying that if you just take some basic dynamics going on in crypto, it meets some of the criteria of a Ponzi scheme. You have um, tokens um, and uh, enterprises that uh, reach extraordinarily high valuations. Uh, they encourage new money to come into the system. Um, that money goes to paying high yields on some of their tokens or to propping up the token values. And then there's a run on the bank or some kind of a run, and there's never enough money to repay all the investors. And the only way that the whole thing survives is through this continuous cycle of bringing in new money um, to support the older money, and then it all collapses. Maybe that's a little bit harsh, um, but do you think that crypto fundamentally suffers from this dynamic? Um, uh, no, I guess would be the answer to that question. I mean, I, I think I think crypto does a few things that are fundamentally new and disruptive in in the world, and I think it does them exceptionally well. Um, you know, so far I can see four things that it does better than any existing technology paradigm out there. Uh, it's created a decentralized form of money. Now, now you may not think that that's valuable. Other people may not think it's valuable, but it's found some level of product market fit. There are some people who want to own a decentralized form of money and Bitcoin has filled that role. Of all the crypto assets, Bitcoin is most susceptible to what you mentioned there, which is it has no underlying cash flow or fundamental productivity. So it its value is based on supply and demand, just like gold. So I think most people who talk about um, crypto not having fundamentals or not, not having impact are talking about Bitcoin specifically. But there are people out there who want to own a decentralized form of money and Bitcoin has stood the test of time over 13 years and I suspect it will still be with us 100 years from now. But that's actually not the only thing crypto does. You know, it, it is uh, today the fastest way to move money around the world. Uh, and I think there's demonstrable proof of that uh, at multiple levels. It also allows you to program money like software and you can look at something like Uniswap which is a decentralized crypto exchange that is doing more trading volume than, than Coinbase at this point with no employees and no centralized office. And think about what that means for finance. I think it's pretty incredible. And it's also the, the only way we've found as a society to have digital property rights. And I know people dismiss 
NFTs because they're highly valued pictures of, of, of bored looking monkeys. But decentralized property rights is a very big idea. And there's no other technological solution that allows us to have digital property rights in today's world. So, you know, while, while there is, of course, in any great bull market, an element of speculative excess. And, and wow, I would say 90 percent or more of the crypto projects out there are worth zero and going to end up being worth zero. Uh, these fundamental technological primitives, moving money over the Internet, programming money like software, having digital property rights are really big ideas. And, and there are no cracks in the foundation of that technology. It, it still can do that. In fact, it does those three things better every day. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, the, the bull case, I think, for crypto now is that um, as painful um, as this is for the industry, it will ultimately flush out the bad actors, um, the shady protocols, the dodgy tokens, the fraud, um, and uh, maybe in a year or two with um, a full suite of regulations, um, the industry will uh, be supported with more stability and that will ultimately uh, you know, deliver um, real economic um, value to uh, millions of people um, and ultimately benefit uh, investors as well with real um, revenue and, and, and profit streams um, for the crypto infrastructure companies. But I think we're a ways off from that. And I think there are questions about how long that um, will actually take. You know, you mentioned um, regulation. I think the industry um, you know, it, it's been kind of of two minds of regulation. This is an industry that started out uh, with Bitcoin and a very libertarian anti-government uh, ethos. Um, and, uh, you know, industry lobbyists have periodically objected um, to uh, efforts to regulate the industry, um, including, uh, you know, some new uh, tax laws um, uh, requiring that uh, uh, investors report transactions um, over $10,000. Um, and um, it was also opposed to some uh, sanctions on a, a coin mixer, a Bitcoin coin mixer that the U.S. says is involved in uh, money laundering. Um, so it, it remains to be seen um, how far regulations will go and whether they will be the panacea, I think, that the industry wants or whether the industry even wants all these regulations. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, though, is, uh, is Binance. Um, You've mentioned mm -hmm. Kraken and Anchorage as being... Um, uh, crypto exchanges and companies that have uh, held up uh, quite well um, amid this sell-off. Um, but I think there's concerns now um, about Binance, which um, is the world's largest crypto exchange. Um, it was the largest one before FTX collapsed. Um, it's increased its market share. Um, the, uh, the head of Binance, um, who goes by the name of uh, initials of CZ, um, has said he uh, will pledge or has pledged about a billion dollars for an industry recovery fund. Um, but Binance's um, uh, finances are opaque. Um, you know, they've released some reports, uh, recently a report on um, their assets and liabilities, but um, it wasn't complete. Um, and it didn't meet any of the criteria of a standard audit that you would get from a big four accounting firm. Are you at all concerned um, about uh, the stability of Binance? And do you think that Binance might be the next domino to fall? Yeah, I, I absolutely am concerned about the stability of Binance. Uh, you know, I'd push back on one thing you say. I'm not completely in alignment that it's the most important crypto exchange in the world. I actually think Coinbase is the most important crypto exchange in the world. And if you look at the 
uh, proof of reserves that Binance has put out, there are more assets on Coinbase than there are on Binance. Binance reports higher trading volume. I think you should look at those reported numbers with some level of skepticism. I think Binance is a very important exchange, but I don't necessarily agree that it's more important to the crypto ecosystem at this stage uh, than Coinbase is. But I do have concerns about Binance. It ticks a number of boxes um, that that if you if you look at it objectively would raise worries. It's a an offshore exchange that's been regulation hopping, looking to avoid regulatory uh, pressures. It's got opaque finances, as you mentioned. Uh, it has leverage and loans. These are all indicators that historically have often led, led to bad things in the market. Um, I think Binance is, is, is likely solvent uh, and likely will be around for a long time. But uh, I think you're right to ask questions about it and right to worry about it. And if you're an investor who has assets on Binance, I'm not sure I would keep those assets there for the long term. Uh, I think I would look for a more regulated, stable, transparent exchange to hold your assets on. So I, I do have real worries about that. I also have, you know, some degree of worry about Tether, which is a largely unregulated stablecoin that's also large in the market. There are large remaining worries in crypto. I think we're closer to the end of the uh, the down market than the beginning. But um, if you're a rational actor in crypto, you have to look at the tremendous opportunities. And I, I'd love to talk about those opportunities. But you also have to look at the remaining risks. And I think Binance and Tether are the two largest remaining risks in the system. Okay, um, I, I agree with you. <laughs> um, uh, I, would like to, uh, I would like to remind our listeners to, uh, to please submit your questions and, and we'll take a few um, in a few minutes. Um, you know, what's also a little bit surprising, um, actually, as you talk about um, how crypto has kind of been holding up, is Bitcoin, um, which was rallying today, um, even as Bankman Freed um, was placed under arrest, um, even as... Yeah. Binance uh, froze withdrawals of USDC-related deposits. One would have thought uh, perhaps that um, crypto would just be heading down, down, down from here um, as all of these headline risks and issues make the news. And yet Bitcoin and, and the rest of the token market um, is having a pretty good day today. Um, it was rallying yesterday as well. Uh, one explanation is that um, the inflation numbers that came out this morning um, beat expectations um, uh, on CPI. That has triggered a big rally in the stock market, um, and crypto has become uh, increasingly correlated to equities, particularly tech. So maybe crypto is just getting a lift from the same um, dynamics that are lifting equities right now. Is that do you, do you think that is why Bitcoin is up just today? Um, and or is there another explanation for it? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think I think that's the primary reason. I also think there's some relief in the crypto community that SBF is going to be held to account. Uh, and I think the crypto industry wants to see uh, criminals in the ecosystem punished because it helps separate the fraud that occurred from FTX from the very real thing that's happening in crypto and blockchain technology. So I think there's some relief there. But I do think today's rally points to um, two really important misconceptions out there about crypto. The first one is that people look at crypto's returns over the last year, Darren, and they assume that the primary drivers of those returns 
have been uh, the failure of Luna and the failure of BlockFi and the failure of Celsius and FTX. But if you take a step back and you compare, say, the returns of Bitcoin, the returns of high octane tech stocks, uh, choose your choose your poison there, whether it's Tesla or Zoom or ARKK, Kathy Woods ETF, you'll see that Bitcoin has performed very similarly to other long duration tech stocks over the past year. And I think what that tells you is that the primary driver of crypto's returns over the last year has actually been the shift in macro sentiment from quantitative uh, easing to quantitative tightening. And that these sort of crypto extracurriculars, while, while ugly and important to talk about, have been uh, actually a lesser driver of returns. And so as we see the, the macro market normalize, it's going to provide an enormous tailwind to all risk assets, including crypto. And I think that's what's one thing that's happening here. The other thing, the other misconception about crypto, which I think is important to keep in mind, is that it's actually very small. The, the entirety of crypto's market cap, if you take away stable coins and you float adjust it, is about the same as the size of Louis Vuitton, LVMH, the, the luxury brand. It's not that big an entity. So it's it's already fairly beaten down. And so once you see signs of life, once you see money move back into risk assets, um, crypto has a, a, a huge potential. So in short, yes, today is a macro move. I think there's some relief around SBF being held to account, but mostly it's a macro driven move. And I think if we see a shift toward a more neutral macro environment in the next year, that's going to be an enormous uh, supportive force for crypto. And I think people are probably undercounting that right now. All right, one more uh, question from me. Um, and then this is on Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Um, for people who aren't familiar with it, this is the largest publicly traded um, trust um, uh, investment that you can make um, that, that's out there in, in Bitcoin. Uh, they have like something like $10 billion in assets. It's been on the market for a while. Um, the share price of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which is known as GBTC, trades at a very steep discount to its net asset value. Um, I haven't looked at it today, but it has been around 40% discount, uh, implying that um, uh, investors are, are not entirely confident um, that GBTC is going to survive. Um, demand for it has really plunged. Um, and um, there are lots of other ways that you can um, gain exposure and own Bitcoin without going through GBTC. But with over $10 billion of Bitcoin in this fund, um, I think there are some concerns out there about its future and what might happen um, if uh, many investors in GBTC decide to liquidate and flood the market with Bitcoin. Do you see that as a concern at all? Uh, you know, I don't see it as a primary concern. The way these OTCQX traded trusts work, and Bitwise has its own, which is also trading at a significant discount, is that they function effectively like closed-end funds. Unlike ETFs, there's no ongoing creation and redemption. In other words, you can't take shares of one of these trusts and turn it in uh, to Grayscale or to Bitwise to get the underlying assets. There's no ongoing redemptions. And as a result, it can trade at premiums or discounts, and historically, it's traded at both. The reason I raise that is that um, under most scenarios, there's no there's no unwinding of these trusts. That's an unlikely outcome. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but I think the most likely outcome for something like uh, like GBTC or like uh, BITW 
is that they continue to trade and the premium or discount is set by the market based on supply and demand for those shares. You know, at, at Bitwise, and I know at Grayscale, um, we've, we've stated publicly that we'll convert those to an ETF uh, when and if that is allowed by regulators. And that process of converting it to an ETF would allow that, that discount to substantially uh, disappear. But there's no guarantee if or when that will happen. Of the, on the scale of things that I worry about in crypto, Darren, I'd worry more about Binance and even more, uh, I'd worry a little bit more about Tether than I would about an unwind of these OTCQX traded trusts. I just don't think uh, that's a likely scenario because the way they're structured and 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 the rules around those trusts. All right, um, let's go to a question. Um, Michael says, I know I'm a bit naive, but how did the smart money get fooled by FTX and SBF? And I think it's a good question. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you had a lot of um, very large pension funds, venture capital firms, institutional investors um, that had given Sam Bankman fried their money. And um, it doesn't sound like they asked too many questions. Um, was this evidence just of, of a bubble? Um, and is this what happens when you get a bubble? Um, but, you know, the more fundamental question is how do these very sophisticated investors um, manage to be fooled? Yeah, it's a it's an incredibly great question. Thank you for asking it. And these are big investors and not crypto investors entirely. Uh, these are firms like Sequoia. BlackRock was invest, invested in FTX. Um, you know, I think during a ebullient bull market, uh, when you have an entity that sort of ticks all the boxes that people expect, right? The founder went to MIT, his parents are from Stanford. Uh, he was at Jane Street, one of the smartest firms on the market. You're inclined to just go along because you have to act quickly to get in in a rising market. Uh, I think it's as simple as that. It's an indictment on the due diligence uh, that these investors uh, encountered. You know, at Bitwise, we were fortunate. Uh, we never traded on FTX. We screened its token out of our indexes uh, for a variety of reasons. But even I can't say that I, you know, I transparently saw the fraud. I mean, looking back on it, it's pretty obvious. It was the Bahamian exchange. They launched a hedge fund that sat alongside the exchange. That should have been all the red flags that you need, but I, I didn't call it out. We didn't invest in it, but I didn't call it out. Um, I think it was just a bull market and people didn't do the diligence that they should have done. Uh, and it's it should be embarrassing for the people who made those investments. Uh, okay, uh, Mooney asks, um, what is the 12-month outlook for Ethereum after the merge and Solana? And so for people who aren't familiar with these um, uh, blockchains, Ethereum is the second largest blockchain after Bitcoin. Um, uh, it has a native token, Ether, that's the second largest token and by market cap after Bitcoin. Um, a lot of DeFi protocols um, sit on uh, the Ethereum network, a lot of stable coins, NFTs. It's kind of like a base layer for other cryptos. Uh, and it just went through a network upgrade that shifted the way that transactions are processed from kind of a proof of work mining, which required immense amounts of computer power. Um, to using um, uh, what's called, um, uh, well, I'm blanking on the name right now. Proof of stake. Proof, proof of, of stake. stake. There you go, to proof of stake, um, where that uses uh, much less um, energy. 
Um, and this is supposed to have given a big lift to um, Ethereum, to the Ether token. Um, and Solana is a similarly, um, I believe, another layer one network. So what's your outlook for these two uh, blockchains and their tokens? Yeah, I think short term over the next few months, the entire crypto market is going to trade on this mix of sort of how fast can we clear the air from uh, the collapse of FTX and how fast can we figure out what regulations will look like and whether there's another shoe to drop. So for the next few months, I expect it to be sideways, volatile and choppy. For 12 month outlook, I'm incredibly bullish on Ethereum specifically. I think it's likely to be the crypto asset of the year in 2023. It has the most robust developer activity, the most robust application environment, uh, there's a rise of layer two solutions, which allow it to scale so that it can serve not just a handful of people at any given moment, but hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and as you mentioned, Darren, it went through the merge, which cut its carbon consumption by 99% and also reduced its inflation rate to effectively zero, uh, such that there's there's tighter supply in the market. So I think all the things are lining up in Ethereum's favor for 2023. And as I said, I suspect it is the or one of the crypto assets of the year of 2023. I think Solana is an entirely different question. Solana is a competitor to Ethereum. It was heavily involved in the FTX mess. People could argue that it has better technology than Ethereum on the margin and that Ethereum was winning because it had a bigger network effect. But the, uh, the close tie between Solana and FTX has damaged the Solana ecosystem. The number of developers working on it is in retreat. The number of transactions is in retreat. Number of wallet growth has slowed down. I think you have to watch and see whether those fundamental metrics stabilize in the next six months or whether the community that was building on Solana migrates to other ecosystems, uh, probably straight to Ethereum and the rising layer two space. So, um, you know, Solana is sort of like a distressed value play in crypto. And I think you have to look at that as a distressed potential value play. Ethereum has all the all the forces aligning behind it, and I think is incredibly well positioned for 2023. So Ethereum could really benefit from a kind of a flushing out again that we're seeing um, uh, of tokens and of other blockchains, um, and might be one of the um, winners uh, to come out of all of this. Um, potentially with other uh, crypto companies or entities like Coinbase and uh anchorage um are there any others that you would identify um as good crypto prospects over the next 12 months yeah i think i think i think one of the most exciting things happening in crypto is in the rise of layer two solutions uh like like polygon um if you think of ethereum it is a blockchain that allows you to process transactions it can process about 15 transactions a second and the cost to do that can be you know a few dollars per transaction Layer two solutions are built on top of Ethereum, sort of like a highway access road. And they're going to let Ethereum scale from 15 to 100,000 transactions per second. And the cost to process transactions on these layer two solutions is maybe a penny or less. And you're seeing enormous growth in these layer two solutions as this way of increasing the scalability of crypto assets. I think 2023 could also be a year where words like layer two, words like polygon, optimistic rollups, ZK rollups, uh, those become commonplace. So if I were looking, you know, what's the most exciting things in crypto, I would look at Ethereum, I would look at layer two solutions, 
And then I would look at things like Uniswap and other DeFi protocols, which have been beaten down for a number of years, but have real fundamentals uh, and real value characteristics that I think could be in focus in 2023 as well. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for being here, Matt. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, we hope you'll join us again tomorrow. Market Watch columnist Brett Ahrens will speak with Steve Russell, uh, investment director at Ruffer, um, about uh, how they have dodged uh, some of the financial difficulties this year and their approach to management, money management. Um, and uh, so we will see you uh, uh, tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and have a nice day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.